Welcome to the Grace Podcast, a production of Grace Ministries in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us, and we pray that you are blessed and inspired. For more information about Grace, be sure to check out gmrh.org. Now let's listen in to this week's message. Hey man, it's good to be in church. I feel like I should fill out a visitor card, um, but it's great to be home with you. Uh, two weeks doesn't seem like that long until you are gone for two weeks, and then it's uh, it's a long time. And um, I was joking that I was going to become a Ugandan with a pastor that was there, and he approved and took my joke seriously and wanted me to stay. And um was almost ready to, but uh, it, it's so great to be home. It's so great to be with you this morning. And once again, man, just... The worship, thank you for coming to the church with an expectant heart. Uh, thank you for coming to want to meet with God, because that's, that affects the whole house, that affects the whole body, uh, because when we all join together with our expectation of wanting to meet with our good Father, then it just adds a moment just like we just had, because um, that was amazing. Um, I know I can speak on behalf of our, our family and our, our, our pastors. We're so grateful to be able to be at this church. Um, I talk about you in the best way possible everywhere I go. Because what God is doing here is not normal. It's not the norm that's taking place. And, and I, I just back there during worship, I, I, I can't help but think as, as we as a church and as your leadership team, I'm so grateful we're not a church that's like this. But we're a church that's like this. That we give out, that we, whatever resource, if we can find a way, whether it's working or finding a way to raise money or having a fish fry or cooking or, or doing whatever it may be, we always find a way to be a part of it and try our best to play a role. And we're so grateful for that. Um, I know it, it, it leads from the top, right? Wherever the head points, that's where the body is going to go. And it's, it, we have good DNA, <laughs> right? It starts at the top. And we can see that in our body, and we can see that in you um, because of your willingness to work. And we got a reminder of that this week. Um, we, we got an email of uh, just a random email, and um, I don't know if he's serving. Uh, they're enjoying family time this morning, but it says, um, uh, I, I just want, I had to read this to you because, um, yeah, you, you'll see why. It says, Good morning, Grace Ministries. I'm thanking God for this day and giving Him all the praise and glory. I was driving down 901 Mount Holly on Wednesday, uh, this past Wednesday, traveling from Lexington, South Carolina, to meet my dad for lunch. Suddenly, I was distracted by a man on the side of the road on the ground. He appeared to be crawling around, and I, I wasn't sure he had fallen or, or was in a state of confusion. And I'm a healthcare worker, and I had much concerns that this man needed some help. During the brief minute, I took my eyes off the road, and I hit the median curb and blew my tire and severely damaged my rim. All the tire pressure, uh, warning lights, and signs appeared on the dash. I pulled off the road and pulled into Grace Ministries' parking lot. I felt this was a safe place to stop. I got out of the car to uh, access the damages. This gentleman was riding the lawnmower, cutting the grass at Grace. He stopped the mower and immediately came over uh, to my car and offered to assist. I was in panic mode on the phone with my sister, letting her know what just happened. I explained to this gentleman what just happened and how distracted I was. Um, I believe that there was a serious message from God in that moment. I began to say all the what-ifs, but this gentleman cast it all away and said, well, it didn't. He thanked the Lord I wasn't hurt and no one else was. I immediately felt the grace and love of God. 
I thanked the Lord and I thanked him for helping me. He proceeded to change the busted tire and rim and place the spare wheel on. And I was so grateful he was there at the moment to assist. I offered him money. He refused and said, you don't owe me a thing. That's just what I'm here for. I shook his hand and thanked him. And he told me his name was Mike Shaw. He invited me to come visit Grace if I'm ever back in the area. He directed me to go back to 77 to the nearest Nissan dealership. I went back to the spot where I first was distracted, and I didn't see the man that was on the ground, nowhere in sight. So truly, that was a message to me from God. Mike Shaw was so kind and helpful, I wanted to take time out to acknowledge him and his service to me on that day. It's, it's, it's all, <laughs> yeah. So if you see Mike, give him a call, shoot him a text. It's, it's always great to, to know that's, that's the heart of grace, right? That's, I mean, the fact that somebody can be riding down the road and feel that this is a safe place just from riding down the road, um, because it is a safe place. This is home, right? This is where we're at. This is where we get to do life together, and we're so grateful for you guys. So last Sunday, I arrived back in Charlotte, and, and, and Mom and Dad picked me up after two weeks. And Do you ever have those times in life where you're sitting there, and it seems like nothing could go right? You, just, you plan everything, but nothing could go right? Thankfully, that was not my time in Uganda. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I sat back, and I landed back in Charlotte, and I could only say, thank you, God, because everything that I set out to do was accomplished. Everything that I needed, all the stories, all the people I met with, and I felt like for once this is one of the first bigger projects I've got to work on and go and lead the way completely by myself, and I felt like we made an impact, and I felt like we, we changed your life. So I wanted to tell you some of the stories and, 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 and get you in on the insight um, about what is taking place in Masesi, which is in Jinja, which is in Uganda. I learned how Ugandans, they don't say Uganda. They say Uganda. Every time they say it, welcome to Uganda. And I'm like, why is there so much impact? Like, I feel excited when you say Uganda. Uh, so say it more often. And uh, so we met with a pastor. Um, it, it was his very first time working with us at Samaritan's Feet. And um, his name is Simon. Uh, Simon lives in an area called Masesi, and it's an estimated 50,000 people that live in the area. They don't really know how many children. On average, uh, a Ugandan household has six children, so we can safely say there's a lot of children um, in the area if we do our math. Um, uh, Masesi is a slum. It is uh, mud everywhere, shanties, small homes. We're going to look at a few in just a moment. There's um, no gravel. It's, it's busted rock. It's trash. It's um, littered everywhere. Um, uh, animals are walking about. If you walk out of the house, then you may get pushed back in by a cow. Um, like they're walking the streets. Goats do whatever they want to. And the need is great because I would say probably 80% of people do not have on a pair of shoes. Um, we, uh, I mean, you can imagine you're literally dodging the waste, dodging the mud. I mean, my shoes were caked one day. It rained, and the mud just sticks to everything, and I couldn't see my shoes. Um, it was so bad. So uh, people are there in barefoot. Um, so we were working with Simon because Simon knows the great need, and he knows the practical aspect of a pair of shoes. Um, Simon is uh, hes a good pastor. He would fit in here. Is what I'm saying, because he meets the need. He's not worried about the show. He's not worried about anything else. He's worried about people coming to know Jesus. And he's, he's not going to sit there and tell them they need to come just to come to Jesus. He's going to give them, meet their need, and then share the gospel with them. It's hard to share the gospel with somebody on an empty stomach. You with me? 
Um, so, so he'll feed them and then share the gospel. So when we were there, I, I said, Simon, I need to talk to two families. I need to meet with some families so we can actually sit down and, and talk about the need, talk about how we can actually impact their lives. Little did I know what was going to take place. The first day we went and met a mother. We can go to the first one. The mother's name is Prosy. Her beautiful smile. She's a mother of five children. The oldest son was away that day. Um, you have Miracle on the left. You have Abel. You have Isaiah. And I can't remember. Regina, I believe, is the other. Um, so we went and met with Prosy and sat down. Prosy uh, is in and out of church and not really connected. Um, this is the outside of her home. Uh, we arrived, and uh, it was, once again, all mud, as you can see, and smoke filled the air, and we were greeted with smiles, and Prosy's husband left her not long ago um, because he didn't want the responsibility of feeding the children. He said he was working too hard to feed five kids and all of his money simply going to five kids. Um, so he left. So she's now a single mother of five children, and Prosy makes baskets, papyrus baskets. So her day consists of waking up in the morning, um, going down to their right on Lake Victoria to go cut papyrus, to collect reeds, to come back, to make baskets, to then in turn take them back to the market to hopefully sell them to fishermen and those buying vegetables to get enough money for dinner that night to come back. Um, she lives on roughly $2 a day with five children. Uh, so we begin to sit and talk to her. But as you can see, the children's smile is amazing. Uh, her, her kids should be in school, but education is not free in Uganda. Um, it's $25 a month per child. So as you can see, if you're living on $2 a day, it's not going to happen. So she makes $2 a day, and she goes, and she gets food, and we begin to sit and talk to her and interview her, and she made the statement, um, in, I wasn't expecting it, um, because, you know, sensory, we're taking all of this in. But she's sitting there, and she says, you know what? She's like, we go to bed hungry at night often. But in the midst of it, I know that God's not forsaken me. And just to stop and think about the perspective of that, of, wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, this was on the first day that I, I was there filming, and I almost blew my entire budget because I wanted to empty out my pockets and give everything to her right there in the midst of it. But we, we had money set aside, and we spent probably two hours with the family, and um, we, we filmed their daily life because we want to come back and to be able to show people this is what is taking place and the hardships that people face. Um, so for her time, we said, well, you know what, we're going to bless her. And uh, we, we gave her $100 for the morning. We began to do the math, and Pastor looked at me because uh, we prayed with her. We said, God, we pray that you bless her. And then we were able to bless her. And in the midst of it, it was almost, what, two and a half, almost three months worth of salaries um, for her. And we left, and she was ecstatic, and the family was ecstatic, and they were dancing around. And we were walking down the road, and Pastor looked at me, and he's like, you don't understand, you just changed her life. He's like, I met her coming through, just knocking on the door to see if they need anything. She's like, but I know that you've changed their life. I met Pastor the very next day. Um, he picked me up that morning and um, he said the craziest thing happened last night. He said, uh, Prosy came back to our house about 8 p.m. knocking on the door. And I was like, oh yeah, well like why? And she's like, she had a problem. I was like, what was the problem? She said, she came to us because she was concerned and she said, Pastor, I've never seen this much money in my life and I don't know what to do with it. Um, so 
It gives a direct connection to the pastor to help invest in her children and to work with her children. And you know what? That Sunday morning, her and her kids were there on the front row worshiping. Um, so we were able to make a direct, a direct impact. The very next day, we went to another family, uh, Amuza and Mary. What such a beautiful family. This is taken on the inside of their house. Uh, Amuza is the father right there in the middle. Amuza is actually uh, a Muslim. Um, and Mary, the mother in the back there, um, attends church on and off. Um, but they're not really connected. Um, you can see the width of their house. Their house was maybe um, 10 feet wide by 12 feet long. Uh, they have six children and two adults, and they all sleep there every night. Uh, the rug is hanging in the back because that's what they put down to sleep on. Um, so we crammed in the house, and we just began to talk to them. Uh, Amuza and, and Mary, they both work. Um, Mary sells something called jackfruit. It's this giant fruit down by the market. Amuza is a fisherman, and between the two of them, they make about a dollar and 45 cents a day with six children. Um, so we began to talk to them and, and to begin to sit with them. And they began to say, you know, food wasn't necessarily the issue for them because he can catch fish and they just don't sell it so they can eat fruit. So they're able to eat. Um, but shoes were the issue for them. And they said, um, the mother, as we sat and interviewed her and began to talk to her, she said, um, she's like, we feel as if we fail as parents. She's like, because we can take them to the clinic. That's free, but we can never get the prescription filled because we don't have the money. Um, she said, so all we can do is pray. And um, the reason they were even connected to the church is because the little one here was extremely sick and they didn't know what to do and they heard of Pastor Simon. And Pastor came to their house to pray um, to get the help that he needed. Why? Because they were willing to, to meet the, the physical need or, or, or to help out as a church. Um, so we began to talk to Amuzo. And was prompted to ask the question. I said, Amuza, have you ever owned a pair of shoes in your life? Tell us your journey of shoes. And uh, I would say Amuza's in his late 40s. And he looked at us and he said, I have never owned a pair of shoes in my life. He's like, I've always grown up in poverty. And never have I put a pair on my feet. I have always been barefoot. And like, it's, it's hard to fathom, right? It's hard to, to grasp that. And sitting there in their house, it was just like, What? Like, how, how is this possible? So they were sitting just like that, and once again, we were able to pray with them and love on them um, and bless them w- w- with the same funds. The mother stood up and began to dance, dance around the room. The kids began to, to, to get excited. And um, the, the young man in the white shirt here, that night, they went and bought him his first pair of shoes. We came back the next morning because I, I needed one more clip of one more shot, and he had blisters all over his feet. I said, why does he have blisters on his feet? They said, because he hasn't stopped running since he got his shoes. <laughs> yeah. That Sunday morning, she stood in church and testified of the goodness of God in her life. Amuza, who does not go to church, was sitting beside her on the front row, able to hear the gospel. Because we were working with Pastor Simon. So we can go to, to Pastor Simon. This is Pastor Simon. Pastor Simon is 46 and has six children. He began to tell us his story and, and the story of his church. His church started in 2011 with five people. Him and his wife and three adults in their house. Their house is about the size of Pastor's office in the back back there. So it's three bedrooms. And on any given night you have the two pastors and between six to ten children that sleep in the house. They have one light bulb hanging in the middle. 
at first I walked in and I said, how could a pastor live this way? But then he looked at me and said, how can I reach my people if I don't? I said, wow. He's willing to sacrifice. He said, I can afford a bigger house. I can. But God's called me to right here. He said, in his time, he'll move me to the next place. They started with five people in their front room. Um, He said the next week there were 16 adults and over 30 children. (laughs) Now, this past Sunday, there was over 150 adults and over 300 children crammed into two classrooms. Uh, I began to tell Pastor about our church and our size, and you know, I said, you know, we, we range between 70 to 90 people on a Sunday morning and, and 20 kids. And he said, why so few kids? <laughs> he said, don't kids just come to church? I said, Pastor, they can't walk to church where we live. We live out in the sticks. He's like, but I don't understand. Kids should be in church. And um, it's so many children, and they're a church that's growing, and we're there, and in the middle of service, service is about three and a half hours, and, and the choir is there, and his leadership team is there, and pastor's so excited, and he goes down the line, he's like, I want my leadership team to stand up, and they all stand up. And then he's like, I want my choir to stand up, and they all stand up. He said, now get outside. He said, because there's people outside who are standing at the windows who need to hear the gospel, and you're going to give up their seats so they can come hear the gospel. And the leadership team ended up standing outside for about an hour and a half and it began to rain as they looked through the windows, hearing the gospel. Began to look around and I said, I don't know what we're going to do just yet. We're going to talk about it. We're going to pray about it as a church. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. We're going to be a part of it. We're going to be a part of what God is doing in Masesi. And we're going to connect here and we're going to connect there. And we're going to be a part of it. During the week, we gathered in, in Pastor's house. Um, you see, well, this is where Pastor's from. As we went, we went back to his original village, that's the house that he was born in. Um, and there's, I believe, there was 12 siblings or six siblings. His mother, we were able to meet his mother. I said, Pastor, how old's your mother? And she said, She doesn't know. They don't, they don't know. They don't know when she was born. They said they can tell you when who the king was and that it rained a lot that year, but that's all they knew. Um, so we were able to meet his mother and meet his family, and his, his father uh, is buried just beyond. And he, he began to talk, and we went to his village. The entire village came out. When we pulled up in the bus, they began to dance down the streets with their drums, and the elders and the leaders began to meet us, and everyone just began to shout. And we didn't have enough shoes. We needed like 300 more pair. But we were able to stand there. And Pastor Simon got up in front of his whole village and brought his mother to the front. He was able to stand out and look at him and say, who knew that God would do such a thing? And he looked at his mom and he said, Mom, who knew or did you know that I would be the one that would connect us to the West for help to come and help our village? So the gospel was shared there. We ended up having a, a prayer in his house. And man, I'm telling you, at 3 o'clock in Uganda in a tiny little shanty it gets hot but you put 13 people in there praying <laughs> it gets really hot but man the presence of God as people are walking down the street you get it's, it was a tangible feeling of the presence of God sitting in in their room we end up having a cell group one night they they move around and it was 65 70 adults gathered outside of one of these tiny homes sitting there in the street with one little light bulb hanging worshiping and dancing in the dark And you could just hear it throughout the community. 
Pastor Simon said he was called there because alcohol was an issue, fighting was an issue, but he can see that since he's been there, the community has changed. That it's going down, that people are beginning to love people. And once again, that's when I knew we got to be a part of what's taking place. We were able to serve over a thousand children plus children while we were there, but we needed about 10,000 more pairs of shoes because the need is great. But walking away, um, it was just one of those, those moments of, like we knew that we met with people and the gospel was shared, um, that lives were touched, lives were transformed. Um, I'm going to say, you know, church, like for me, like thank you. Like, thank you for the, the willingness and I don't know if you're pushing me out the door because you want me to go on a trip because you know I'm going to paint everything around here or I'm going to add more lights or change everything. You know, if I'm traveling, then it's I'm, I'm joking. But no, thank you for your constant support of always being there um, because we know we can make a difference. We know we are making a difference here and abroad. So now we're going to get into ghost stories really quick. I have 27 minutes. We're down with that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, ghost stories. And I, I, I think it's, it's fitting. Um, Acts chapter 12, and we're going to go through it. It's in your daily devotional. If you've read it this morning, then you know where we're going with it. If not, you can read it when you get home to see if I'm telling the truth. Um, don't worry, I am. Kind of. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. You can laugh. It's okay. We're in church. Uh, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 and all that's going on in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a great book of what's taking place, the early church and, and the Holy Spirit at work. And it's moving and it's up front and it's fresh and it's all that's going on. So we're going to look at, like I said, Acts chapter 12. But real quick in Acts 11, I'm going to summarize that real quick. Peter's there. We all know Peter. And, and Peter has a vision, and um, you can read about it, and, and it's about the, the Lord saying what's clean and what's unclean, and, and the fulfillment of the old covenant, and, and what he can do now, and, and, and Peter goes through the whole process, and, and then there's a guy at the end who gets up and, and prophesies that a famine is going to happen, and then the famine happens, and then a bunch of people come to know Jesus, uh, and the church is growing rapidly. We can see the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives, where uh, people feel prompted to stand up and proclaim the gospel. That's what happened. And, you know, 5,000 people came to the kingdom in one day. So the Spirit is at work. The church itself is growing quickly. It's moving rapidly. Everything is great. They're on the 10-year mark since Jesus is gone. Uh, once again, it's, it's growing. It's happening. And then Acts chapter 12 happens. And it gets like it would be a blow to the church. So Acts chapter 12 is going, and it starts off with Herod the king, and he kills James in the first two verses. James is one of the disciples, one of the, the three, the beloved, the sons of thunder that he's in the mix with it. And um, it said Herod has him beheaded. So they have all this momentum. You ever feel like that in life? You have all this momentum. Everything is going great. Everything is going right. Man, this week has been a, a great week. Uh, opening day, a shot of deer on Friday. And yesterday, the Gamecocks won. It's a good week. Carolina's probably already fell, falling apart over in London. You know, it's, it's the blow to the, the, the good week. But, but that's what's going on. The church is growing, and then all of a sudden it's like the rug is snatched out from underneath them with this blow. And Herod sees what happens with the Jews because the Jews still want, don't want the Christians to thrive. 
They still want to exterminate all this. And he's sitting there and he sees the favor he gets with the Jews because he kills James. So he says, I'm going to keep doing this because I like the feeling. I like this. Um, So then he arrests Peter. Here it says he, he said he observed the Jewish ways, the Jewish festivals. He was still involved. Just because they observe it don't mean they're a part of it. Hello. <laughs> um, this was a blow to the church, like I said. I mean, one of the, the top three, one of the, the three was beheaded, and then the second one was arrested. It seems like Herod is he's on a systematic dismemberment of the movement, right? He's going to just begin to, to, to take out the leaders and take out everyone. And Herod protects himself. And we, we know the story where he's there and then he, he, he brings in, typically it's one guard per person and, and the guard would chain themselves to the prisoner. They said it would be the left hand of the guard would be chained to the prisoner so the right hand could be free. So if he tried anything, he could take care of him. Which is an easy... So Herod wanted to protect himself, so he put four guards in. So Peter had a guard on each side that was chained to both arms and two at the door. It was a total of 16 guards because every three hours the guards would rotate. Um, so that way they would stay fresh. Because Herod didn't want anything to take place because he knew the, the, the popularity he would get, the joy that he would get out of killing Peter. But because of his observance of the Jewish custom... Passover had just happened. They're in the festival of the unleavened bread, which is seven days afterwards. Herod didn't want to kill Peter during that time because he knew it would be backlash because it's a festival. They were celebrating that. So he was waiting for the festival to be over for him to kill Peter. So Peter was in jail, chained to guards, and all this was taking place. If you keep reading down in, in verses 5 and 6, it says the church there, they were, they were praying for Peter. They knew where he was at. And, and it, it, they used, some translations use the word constant. Some use it without ceasing. Some use uh, urgent or earnest prayer. Uh, but the word constant, it's, or the, the earnest that's there, it's, the picture in Greek is literally the, the, the word of them stretching out all they can for something. It's almost the picture of a muscle that's being stretched to the max. Like it can't go any further. Um, but it's there. Stretched to his, its limits. It's actually the same word that they use in, in the Gospels of when Jesus was praying in the garden. Like that's the earnestness that the church is praying for, for Peter. That's the midst of it. They're, they're in it. They're there. They're praying for him. Um, they're, they're believing God. Uh, it's, it's fervent. It's extended. It's united. Church, we have to remember that united prayer, it, it, it has to be the church's first resort. It has to be the first thing that we come to. It has to be the first thing that we think of is I can pray. Why? Because I have access to the Father. And He can bring peace to the situation. He can bring joy. He may not bring the answer. So often we get caught up in the answer. But it, it does, Scripture doesn't say He brings the answer that passes all understanding. No, 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 right? It says it's a peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because the answer is not a factor if I have peace. Because it doesn't matter what the answer is. Because I can rest in the fact and know that my father is good, that he's got it under control. So no matter, it may be stressful, the bills may not be getting paid, it may be tense at work, or you're not sure if you want to kick your child out or let them back in. Peace can diffuse the whole situation, but then give you wisdom to walk things out. So 
Prayer needs to be the first result in a time of crisis because then that reveals that we're ultimately depending on something that's bigger than our powers than what we can do. But it's leaning in. If church isn't the first resort, then oftentimes we're relying on something else other than God. And, and that's not the case. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 6 and read a few verses. I want to pick it up. So this is when, when Peter is in jail, and I'm going to be reading out of the message. And it says this, And then the time came for Herod uh, to bring him out for the kill. So he's going to bring Peter out for the kill. This is uh, the, the night before Peter was supposed to be killed. So this is actually, they said it's in what the, the, the third watch or the fourth watch between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. So it would be the fourth watch before the day comes and then they're going to take him out to kill him the next day. So this is the last watch of the night. Um, I was reading this on the plane and I got tickled because he said, That night, even though shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. We could easily bypass that. And think about it. And I was like, wait a minute, Peter. This is the same Peter that couldn't stand in the boat. They had to get out and walk on water. This is the same Peter that when they came, pulled out his sword and chopped off an ear. This is the same Peter that denied Christ time and time again. But even in the midst of it, Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of it all, even in the midst of everything, he slept like a baby. I, I was think, kept thinking about this. I kept thinking about Dad watching Andy Griffith. That one episode where Barney gets arrested. <laughs> and you have Otis, right, with the cup. And he's going up and down the thing. And he keeps singing, Barney's in jail, Barney's in jail. That's all I could think about. Is picturing Peter in, in jail, trying to get out. Trying to force his way out. Why? Because Peter's... His entire life was reactionary. He would react to the situation. He wouldn't respond. Something happened, wow, he, he chops the ear off. He reacts. He didn't respond properly. But in the midst of this, when the fact that he's about to face death, he responds properly and he sleeps like a baby because he knows it's not in his hands. Man, what if I can get to a point where I have enough peace where I can sleep like a baby? I mean, what if even though I got the doctor's report, I can still go home and sleep like a baby? Can you sleep like a baby when you're stressed? I can't. <laughs> But the fact that I can come in and rest, and as I was reading this, Matthew eleven twenty eight came to mind. What did Jesus say? If you're tired, if you're burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. In the midst of it all, when Peter was face to face with Jesus, he couldn't have rest. He was always reacting. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was able to respond properly. Church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to walk things out and know that there is a peace and an understanding that comes because nothing should steal our sleep at night. Time and time again, even you know Peter was there fishing. He went back to fishing. Jesus showed up on the, with him on the shore and called him into the shore. And what did he do? He sat down and had breakfast with him. He relaxed. He rested. We have to know that we can rest when it comes to our relationship with the Father. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can find Ways to rest. So often we relegate the Holy Spirit and this idea of ghost stories to the Holy Spirit is prophetic. The Holy Spirit, and there's the gifts and there's the, the, the tools, and we, we, we forget that it's everyday life. It's every action life. It's what I'm going through right now. Like we, we want to say we're more filled with the Holy Spirit if we're out prophesying or if we're out giving words to everyone. That's not, that's not what Scripture says. That's a gift. What, 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 what is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? 
It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace, patience, kindness, joy. That's the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter is in the midst of all this and he's sleeping like a baby. And it says, and, and there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. Herod was taking no chances. I love how matter of fact Luke is in this. And suddenly there was an angel at his side and a, a light flooding the room. Some theologians don't really know why the light was there, if it blinded anyone, or if it just happened to be the angel that was there. Um, but the amazing thing that it points out here is, is, is Luke is saying it's an angel of the Lord. And he's there, and it provides four things. Because when, when God shows up, he's there for a purpose. He's there for a reason. He just doesn't do it matter-of-factly for no reason. Everything serves a purpose, right? All, all his promises are yes and amen. His words don't return void. So he's not just going to show up for the sake of showing up. But he shows up, and in this midst, he provides deliverance for one of God's witnesses. But in the midst of it, he gives strength. He brings judgment, and he reveals God's will about saving humanity, his purpose in saving and reaching those. So it's amazing when God shows up, that is usually what takes place. I can think about it in my life. There's been deliverance, there's been strength, moments of judgment. But in the all, it's God's will and his act of wanting to save humanity and, and work through me to work out to others. So the angel showed up. It said the angel shook Peter and got him up. Some translations say it, uh, they believe that he, the angel actually kicked him in his side, is what it said, to wake him up. <laughs> and I was like, that's, <laughs> of course, that's how I'm, if it had been our mom doing it, she would have sprayed him in the face with a water bottle. <laughs> like, time to get up. You know, it, it's, they, they woke him up and they said in that moment when he woke up, the handcuffs fell off his wrists. And the, the, the angel said, get dressed. Put on your shoes. It's like, like a child wake up in the morning. Okay, you're up. Now grab your stuff, get everything together, put your clothes on, put your shoes on, get your tunic, get your belt, uh, grab your coat, and let's get out of here. I, I find it funny that even in the moment, even in the midst of it, Peter was still fully prepared, and they stopped to make sure he was. God's not going to send you into something not prepared. He's going to make sure you have everything that you need. I mean, because if Peter would have ran outside with nothing on... That would have been a whole other story. Right? If he would have showed up to church with nothing on, knocking on the door, you know, it would have been a whole other story. But it was the, the, the angel was matter-of-fact in doing so. He said, grab everything that you need. Grab everything that you came with. Because if he had everything that he needed and he came with, then the guards could see that something had to happen. He didn't die. He didn't disappear. He escaped. He said, grab your coat and let's get out of here. Peter followed, but he didn't believe it was really an angel. He thought he was dreaming. I mean, once again, these step-by-step commands is like those given to a, a, a child. But they underline the fact this is an, not just an escape, but it's the Lord's doing. It was the Lord that was at work. It goes on in verse 10, it says, Past the first guard, and then the second. Then they came to the iron gate uh, that led into the city, and it swung open before them on its own. The word for the swung open there is actually the Greek word for automate. So it's like when you're going in the grocery store, and the door just opens up when you get near it. So the door opened up, and he was out on the streets. At the first intersection, the angel left him going on his way. That's when Peter realized it, it was no dream. He said, I can't believe it. This really happened. 
The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and the spectacle the Jewish mob was looking forward to. I mean, could you imagine that? All this takes place, you're stepping out on the street, the angel's gone, and then you're just standing there. I mean, the, the, the whole case it affirms the reality, of the source, the result. Everything was the purpose of a rescue. But I, I love what takes place um, next. And he says, still shaking his head and ama- uh, amazed, he went to Mary's house. So Mary is, uh, I think it was John's mother in this case. Uh, she, they believe that was the house church that Peter attended. They believe it wasn't a small, tiny house, but it was a guest house with a courtyard and then a large house. She had to be a woman of influence because at this time they were beginning to be persecuted and push the church out. So she had to play some kind of role that she could house the place big enough to have enough people there. So they were all praying at their house. Oh, this is John Mark's mother. Yeah, they were all praying at Mary's house for Peter. I love this. The house was packed with praying friends. When he knocked on the door to the courtyard... Once again, it was a separate house, so they had a housemaid watching the gate. A young woman named Rhoda came to see who it was. But when she recognized his voice, Peter's voice, she was so excited and eager to tell everyone Peter was there that she forgot to open the door and left him standing in the street. I love how Luke went from Peter being rescued by an angel to this almost comic relief of... (laughs) I imagine she couldn't see him, right? We can imply that because she only heard his voice... And she was so excited she ran away, leaving Peter standing in the street, knocking at the door. You can only imagine like what was going through his mind. He's like, the angel just rescued me, but now I'm going to get captured standing here knocking at the door because the girl didn't open the door. Um, but it's the comic irony, which it, it, it lends realism to the account because this is what takes place. Um, but she goes in and says, the, the, the church, those that were in there, they wouldn't believe her, dismissing her, dismissing the report. You're crazy, they said. She snuck up, or she stuck by her story, insisting uh, that they still wouldn't believe her and said, it must be his angel. We always talk about how the church needs to be like the church in Acts. But we can see in this that they spent time arguing in the house that this girl was telling a lie. <laughs> Already. Ten years into it. The church members, what I, I, by thinking through this, literally what they were praying for, what they were believing for, what they were spending their time earnestly seeking God for was standing at the door and they were arguing about how it's not there. How many times have, has God tried to provide something in your life, but you've spent more time discrediting it when it was knocking at the door? When you are arguing at the door, when you are able to justify the reason that it couldn't happen or it shouldn't happen when the entire time the miracle was standing at the door. Knocking at the door. He's left knocking and calling at the door. The very answer to their prayers And they don't believe it. Man. (laughs) They even said she was crazy. You know what the good thing about being crazy is? Is you can say whatever you want to. (laughs) Because they're like, oh, you're just crazy. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That I am. Uh, But I love the fact that she sticks to her story. 
She sticks to it. She didn't write her off. She sticks to her story. And it got so much to the so they were arguing so much, they said, well, the only way it could happen is if it's Peter's guardian angel. So uh, according to the Jewish tradition, um, they believed everyone had a guardian angel that would take on your attributes. So they believed that he died and the angel, his guardian angel, had arrived to bring, the, bring good news or to announce Peter's death. So that's what their conclusion was. When all they had to do is walk out to see if she was telling the truth. <laughs> I was like, I wonder like the time span of this. Because like, you can't come to that conclusion very quickly, I wouldn't think. It's not like, a, oh, you're crazy. I bet it's his guardian angel. Like, you know, if they're arguing, like, I would think there would be like a process to get there. So once again, Peter is left standing out by the door. And then Scripture says, going to investigate this. Uh, Peter was out knocking out the door. Finally, they opened and saw him and went wild. <laughs> Peter put his hands up and calmed them down. He described how the master had gotten, not going to lie, the, when I was first reading the scripture, he said Peter put his hands up. I was thinking, Peter was like, yay! <laughs> but he calmed them down. <laughs> he described how the master had gotten out of jail and then said, tell James and the brothers what happened. And then he left them and went on to another place. They believe he was going, uh, so it's not the same James that was just killed. It was another James that was a leader of the church who had been put in power and he wanted to go share what was taking place so he could encourage the brothers. And then you read in the next chapter how the church exploded. I love that. Going to investigate. So they were beside themselves in astonishment. And they opened the door and see Peter standing there. Jonathan, you can come. Church, I want to pray prayers that I can stand in astonishment and go wild when I answer the door. I want to see Jesus work. I want to see the Holy Spirit move. I want to see the church grow. But our first line, our first reaction should always be prayer. So how does... How does God answer prayer? I love that he, he does it while we're still praying. It's, it's movement and action. It's something that's taking place. It's something that shifts when we call on the name of Jesus. It's something that, that moves because if we believe that, that we have power, if we believe that, that he's, if, if we have access to him, if it's the same power that raised Christ from the grave that resides in us, that means when we speak, things can begin to shift. We shouldn't be surprised that God answers our prayer. We shouldn't be in disbelief when God answers our prayer. I think back to the, 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 the woman with the issue of blood and she comes in and she spent her life savings and, and she's prayed and I mean scripture says that she's exhausted all of her resources so the last thing that she can think of she hears Jesus coming and she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed instantly everything that she wanted everything that she hoped for everything that she needed happened in an instant 
But she was ashamed of it. That it happened. Jesus had to turn and find her. Why is that the, the human case? Why is that our reaction? I'm learning that that prayer, my prayer life is is it's a, a blend of confident trust and sanctified imagination. Because if I can't picture it happening. So we talk about hope. We talk about dreams with people that we serve and that we that we work with. And that's what I love about dreams because dreams doesn't take the factor of any circumstance that you're facing. Dreams just gives you the answer of what you're hoping for and what you're believing for. Right? When you're, when you're in the midst of a dream, you're, you're doing what you want to do. You're not worried about your bills in your dream. That's a nightmare. <laughs> uh, you're not worried about the things that's going on, but you can be all that you can be. You can, you can enjoy the gifts and talents that you dream that you have. That's what I've learned my, our prayer life is like. It's, it's confidence and trust in knowing that He's God and that He's good. But it's also this sanctified imagination of dreaming of, man, I, I, I'm going to be whole. I'm going to be healed. What's it like to be whole again? What's it like to be healed again? We, we spend so much time being sick or being concerned about our needs that we don't even know what it's like to be not in need. So how do we even know that we're there? But what if we can be filled with Holy Spirit and no matter what we face, we can find a place to sleep like a baby. But then also we can be a people that are praying for people and knowing something's going to take place, that something's going to shift, that something's going to move, that we're not people who are arguing and disproving God of how He's working when our answer's knocking at the door the entire time. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for Your presence. Jesus, we thank you uh, for dying on the cross for us. That we get to know you, that you provided a way for us. And, and thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be our, our guide, our, our, our presence, our ever um, just with us doing life together. So Father, we, we come to you and we ask that you... God, if we're disproving you when the answer's knocking at the door, God, we pray that you convict us to let us know that it's there. God, that we can have open eyes and open ears to see and hear. God, to hear what you're saying. God, to see what you're doing. And God, that we can be a part of it. God, I pray for each heart here. God, that your presence just be with us. God, that blend of trust and, and sanctified imagination, God, that, that we can dream again, God, that we can hope again, that we can lean into you, God, that we can have that faith that of like a child, that we trust you with your words. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our church, in our midst, in our family's lives. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Come on, church, let's look to the screens.